0: Welcome back to this study on the last book of the Bible. Uh, We're studying the book of Revelation, uh, which uh, starts with the risen Jesus uh, addressing his people through seven letters. And uh, these letters are a prelude uh, to a vision that Jesus gave to his disciple John, who wrote it down as an encouragement uh, to the first century church and to us today. And this vision includes the image of the beast, uh, which is an image of the Antichrist. And it's clear from the Apostle Paul in Second Thessalonians that just before Jesus comes back, a specific person will arise who you could call the Antichrist, And Paul says that this person will be obvious, unmissable, unmistakable. And Paul wrote this to eliminate speculations of several kinds, including speculation on guessing the identity of the Antichrist. Paul says you won't need to guess, but even though Paul said that the Antichrist would be unmistakable, this has not stopped Uh, people down through the centuries from guessing about who the Antichrist might be. Let me give you a short historical list of people just in the last 75 years or so who have inspired this kind of speculation, beginning with logical speculations about truly evil people like uh, Mussolini and Hitler and Stalin. But the speculation has also gone in some really illogical directions with Antichrist accusations upon otherwise very good people such as Pope John Paul uh, or uh, John F. Kennedy or even Mikhail Gorbachev, which, as far as I know, his only crime was having a suspicious birthmark. Uh, Even more unfair uh, is uh, the fact that uh, for a time, Accusation landed on a good man and a good president uh, whose uh, first, middle, and last name all had six letters leading to speculation about 666 and Ronald Wilson Reagan. Meanwhile, the beast of Revelation is connected to the image of a dragon, which makes it so surprising that uh, no one has really put their finger on the real culprit who has been poisoning the minds of our youth for decades and whose name also has six letters. I'm speaking of (laughs) Barney the uh, pocket purple dinosaur. All right, so my point is that it is worthless to be speculating on the identity of the Antichrist when it's unanimous among the writers of the New Testament that we'll have no doubts when the Antichrist arises and uh, we'll have nothing to fear because the appearance of this person will also come with the return of Jesus in complete victory for us. But there is a more important truth that Jesus emphasizes through John's letters and through John's vision in Revelation about the beast. In John's letters and in Revelation, Jesus calls me to have victory over the spirit of the Antichrist that threatens my spiritual life now. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the same John who received the vision uh, of Revelation writes this in 1 John chapter 4. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So, inspired by the Holy Spirit, John writes about an unholy spirit that threatens to steal victory from the followers of Jesus. So you're asking, what is this spirit of the antichrist well the definition begins with two issues that the risen jesus brings up in two letters that we want to study today yes we are going to study two letters that go together because they are both about finding victory over the unholy spirit that is against christ and is against his work in every christ follower Uh, So we start with our first letter from Jesus to Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2 beginning at verse 18 where the risen Jesus says this, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of sickness. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches minds and hearts and will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come." to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give this person the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, Jesus starts with some commending words of encouragement to the church, but then He addresses quickly a problem that is in Thyatira, which is the spirit of the Antichrist in the form of spiritual compromise. You never want to compromise with poison or cancer, because even just a little bit can take your life. And it's the same thing with spiritual compromise. The spirit of Antichrist will rob you of spiritual victory and leave you weak and defeated. And in Thyatira, the primary area of compromise was related to their work world. And we touched on this last time with regard to Pergamum, but the issue was is even more dramatic in Thyatira, and here's why. Archaeological finds tell us that Thyatira was a town of very amazing commerce uh, that all revolved around what is today we would call trade guilds. Uh, covering ventures such as metalworking and woodworking and textiles and foods and drinks. And inscriptions indicate that Thyatira had uh, stronger trade guilds than any other city in the Roman Empire, and to work in one of these fields, you had to belong to the trade guild. Unfortunately, trade guild business was conducted in pagan temples featuring such things as uh, food sacrificed and worship to pagan gods and uh, ceremonies centering on wild drunkenness and sexual orgies and ritual prostitution, all of which was done in kind of hush-hush ceremonies that were apparently so creepy that Jesus labeled them Satan's deep secrets. So here's the dilemma for believers in Thyatira. If they wanted to work in one of these areas of commerce, uh, they had to participate in these trade guilds that were built around idolatry and worse. So they were confronted with a choice of either being unfaithful to Christ or being faithful to Jesus and having to eke out a living outside of the trade guilds. Apparently, there was a group that was proposing a third way of spiritual compromise, These leaders were saying, you know, it's good to believe in Jesus as long as it doesn't interfere with your career path or earning a good living. I mean, you can follow Jesus, but only so far in the real world. Uh, So just join the guild and play along with the pagan worship and the orgies during the week, and then worship Jesus on Sunday. And Jesus responds to this proposal of spiritual compromise with the strongest language possible. Jesus labels the group Jezebel, who was an Old Testament villain queen who led God's people to spiritual defeat and weakness by proposing compromise with idolatry and gross sensuality. Now, is it possible that Jesus is actually referring to a literal woman instead of a group? Yes, of course, it's possible. But in the letter to Pergamum that we studied last time, Jesus refers to another Old Testament character named Balaam. And nobody believes that he was referring to a literal man but to a group symbolically. And it seems likely that Jesus is being just as symbolic here such that by casting Jezebel on a bed of sickness, It's referring to the spiritual weakness that always accompanies the antichrist spirit of sinful compromise that this person or group is advocating. So in the spiritual language or the symbolic language of sick beds and stillborn offspring, Jesus is proclaiming the truth that compromise with wrongdoing is the antichrist delusion that chooses seen physical benefits despite the unseen spiritual costs. The voice of Jezebel says, compromise with pagan worship and the orgies, and you'll have the benefit of a good job. But Jesus warns that this kind of compromise results in steep spiritual losses on the unseen level because Jesus can see what I cannot. And Jesus can see how compromise leaves me spiritually weak and sick and defeated. And Jesus sees how compromise keeps me from the unseen benefits of his power and presence and blessing in my life. And in the midst of, this, of these stakes of the seen and the unseen, is the voice of Jezebel proposing rationalization and a third way? That I can have both. I can have both the seen benefits of compromise and the unseen benefits of Jesus by going a third way of compromise. In fact, Jezebel rationalizes that God wants me to have both. I'm on a diet. I'm I'm trying to to watch what I eat. And so I know what God uh, considers healthy uh, for me, and I know what represents sinful compromise. Uh, The toughest part for me is that every day on my way here to church, I pass a place that every fall is famous for warm cider donuts. And I pass this. It's a busy place. I pass it all the time, such that I know, I can predict when they're bringing out those warm cider donuts. And as I approach this place of temptation, I actually, I cut a deal with God. I say, God, I'm about to pass uh, the place with the warm cider donuts. Here's the deal. If you do not want me to have a cider donut, make it so that there are no parking places in front. But if there is a parking place in front, I will take that as your sign that it is your will that I buy a dozen cider donuts. I I, I confronted that just the other day. Uh, My heart was pounding as I approached the place of the cider donut. And uh, sure enough, there it was. Fifth time around the block, I f- it was <laughs> clearly, clearly, God—it was God's will that I have a cider donut. You do this. <laughs> don't pretend like you don't do this kind of rationalization. Don't pretend. And I won't won't pretend pretend that that's that's the worst worst compromise in my life because it's it's not. not. Uh, The rationalization gets a lot more serious than that, and and it does does for you too. too. You You need need pills to go to sleep at night, night. and then you you need need pills to get get through the day. day. But you rationalize it's not addiction. It's God's provision. You spend all your money on yourself, giving no money to God's work in the church. But you rationalize that God has wealthy people who can be faithful with their money. As a married person, I make a vow to this person before God. But I rationalize divorce, saying, but God wants me to be happy. As a single, I get engaged to a person who has no love or interest in God. And i justify and i rationalize that i'll lead that person to jesus after i have the ring on my finger which is similar to the rationalizing voice of the jezebel group saying loosen up you know join the temple sacrifices join the pagan worship and if we join the pagan worship and we join in with their sexual orgies then maybe we can share Jesus along the way. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way I work. My spirit will never co-mingle with the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of compromise. Jesus says, if you enter that place of pagan prostitution, do not think that my power and my blessing will go in with you because I will not. And this explains why compromise always brings spiritual defeat into my life. I lose every time I go somewhere, Jesus will not go. There is spiritual victory when I follow Jesus. But the power and blessing of Jesus will not follow me into the pagan temple of compromise. As a student, I'll be tempted. I'll be tempted to just fit in with my friends uh, and their binge drinking parties. If I choose to follow Jesus in that situation and stay sober, he'll empower me with victory and make me a light to my friends. But the light of Christ will not follow me into the temple of compromise. If I'm a single, I'll be tempted to cross sexual boundaries and go as far as my date wants to go. But if I choose to follow Jesus and stay pure, he will bless me with healthy relationships in my life. But I should never expect that Jesus and his blessing will follow me into the temple of compromise at my school or at my job I'll be tempted to try to get ahead by cheating or through dishonest dealings. I'll be tempted to go along with shady practices and dirty talk and bad attitudes. And the power of Jesus, the blessing of Jesus, will not go with me if I go there. But if I do Jesus' will to the end, I will have the morning star. That's what Jesus says. For the victorious one who does my will to the end, I will give the morning star, which is, of course, an image of an astronomical body that is so bright that I can see it in broad daylight. But, of course, Jesus is speaking symbolically here. So what is the morning star? Well, this is one of those occasions where Revelation tells us what the symbolism means if we just read And sure enough, in the last chapter of Revelation, this is what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 22. I am the bright and morning star. And so what Jesus is saying is, I promise that if you refuse the compromising spirit of the Antichrist, you will get more of me. Jesus promises that my reward for resisting compromise is more of him. More of his fear reducing presence, more of his, of his fruit producing power, more of his joy inducing victory in my life. But there's another warning. There's another warning about the spirit of Antichrist in the next letter. Uh, which is found in the first verse of Revelation chapter three, where Jesus says this, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. but will acknowledge him before my Father and his angels. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in this letter to Sardis, Jesus proclaims the truth about a second aspect of the spirit of Antichrist, which is spiritual complacency. And the danger of complacency would have been very well recognized by the people in the town of Sardis, because Sardis as a town was built uh, against a Uh, a cliff of a mountain, uh, and was so fortified that it was considered unconquerable. But two times in its long history, Sardis uh, had enemy soldiers scale the cliff in a surprise attack that led to Sardis' destruction and devastation. Twice in its history, Sardis was complacent and fell asleep on watch. So it is with special meaning that Jesus says to the people in Sardis, his people Wake up. Wake up from your complacency, where complacency is the antichrist delusion that makes the seen world seem important enough to justify putting off the urgency of the unseen world of eternity. Jesus says, wake up, because complacency, spiritual complacency, is like sleep. I am one of those people who dreams a lot when I sleep, um, I used to have an alarm clock that had a buzzer. Uh, that didn't have a buzzer. It, had, it was supposed to wake you up with the sound of chirping birds. Did not work for me. Uh, people were, you know, waiting for me at appointments, and I was in bed asleep, thinking I was walking through a chirping, beautiful bird sanctuary. And uh, you know, sometimes the real world and the dream world can be confusing to me. In fact, Just last night, I had this dream that the Cubs are going into the World Series, and uh, those of you who are not clapping, Jezebel. Uh, That's what it's like for a lot of us. A lot of us are living, not in the real world, of the eternal and the importance and urgency of the eternal, but in a dream world. That, where it's, a, it's an illusion that makes us think that the scene is the most important. It's the illusion that makes us think that the scene world is so important, it justifies putting off the urgency of my eternal soul, the urgency of an eternal relationship with God, the urgency of Eternity-shaping responsibilities and relationships here on earth. And Jesus shakes me out of spiritual slumber, saying, time is short. I'll be coming like a thief in the night, and you won't know. So it doesn't matter how old you are. At best, your time is short. At worst, you are on the brink of eternity. So wake up. And so if you're a believer... Maybe today you're hearing Jesus. You're hearing Jesus calling you. Don't put him off, but act with the urgency of the eternal. Maybe you're hearing Jesus speak to you about rededicating yourself to spending time in conversation with him, rededicating yourself to listening to him and his word. If so, don't put him off. Maybe you're hearing Jesus say, turn away from this unholy compromise in your life. If so, you know what it means, he knows what it means. Don't put him off. Maybe you're hearing Jesus say, just receive, because after all, that's what these letters are about. It's Jesus calling his church to receive the good things from him. If so, receive his Holy Spirit. Live in the love of Jesus in a way that that shapes your eternity with great reward. Don't put him off. At the end of his letter Jesus brings up the book of life. This is the book in heaven that holds the names of those who one by one by one receive the forgiveness of God through personal faith in what Jesus did on the cross. The book of life lists the names of individuals. Is your name there? And if you realize that you have never individually received God's forgiveness through personal faith and a decision for Jesus, if you realize that your name is not in this book, don't put it off. In fact, this is so important that at the end of the service, I'll be up here in the front. And if this applies to you, this is your day to make sure about your relationship in eternity with God. And come up and talk to me. I'll just spend 60 seconds pointing you to eternal life. Recently, a man told me about a life-changing experience. Uh, he was at home, in bed, having a wonderful dream. And in the middle of this sweet dream came a presence that burst into the dream saying with volume and urgency, wake up! Wake up! wake up. And this man instantly knew that this presence was Jesus and that Jesus was calling him by name to wake up. And so he forced his eyes open and realized that the carbon monoxide alarm was blaring in his house. And it took all his effort to stumble out of bed and into the fresh air where paramedics said, there were just seconds to spare. If you listen, Jesus is calling you, and he's saying, wake up. Wake up from your slumber and find victory following me. If you hear Jesus right now, don't put him off.